Amen. Well, it's Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the food. I especially love the desserts. Anybody with me today? I love the fact that right now you can go into any coffee shop and ask for peppermint. You know, I'm, I, I, that's, my, that's my drink of choice. I drink coffee with peppermint in it year round. And most places look at me like I'm crazy. But this time of the year, everybody's with me. You know, the rest of the year, I have to Amazon in my own private supply. But right now, anywhere you go, man, you can get some peppermint in your coffee. And it's just, it's just good. It's good to be alive right now, right? It's good. To, I love this season. I love family and friends. How many of you love your family and friends? Right? You love all them. How many's ever had a family or a friend member show up unannounced? You ever had that happen? Happens in a lot of the Christmas movies, right? But they show up, no one knew they was coming. Well, today is a good day because we're going to dive in and uh, I'm going to show you today in the Word of God that God, for thousands of years before the first Christmas, told us He was coming. So anyone who was looking for Him wouldn't have been caught off guard. In fact, in the Scriptures you're going to see today, He told us who, where, and how He was going to come, and we're going to dive into that this morning, when you say, well, Pastor, why is this so important? It's because if we're not careful, the who and the what of Christmas, the person and the plan, the purpose of Christmas can get lost with all of our Christmas celebrations. And we don't want to get lost. I love Christmas. Last weekend, I wasn't here. Our family was in Old Town St. Charles. How many has ever been to Old Town St. Charles during the holidays? It's just this real old little street, old Main Street, right there by the river. It's cobblestone streets. The buildings were built in the 17, late 1700s, early 1800s. It's just a beautiful little area. We go there at least one weekend a year, and uh, we bundle up good, look like Eskimos walking down the cobblestone streets with our, our hot chocolate or coffee and our chocolate chip cookies, and we look at all the Christmas lights. We shop in the shops, the stores, because they're all locally owned, and you can get a few little gadgets you can't find just in a big department store. And we're also blessing the local uh, people who have their businesses there. We, we go around, we look at the lights, and we buy a few things here and there. They also have this cool thing in Old Town St. Charles. They actually hire people to come and act out like old-time Christian characters, right? Like uh, Christmas, not Christian, Christmas characters. Uh, in years past, has been Charles Dickens. This year, they were just different Christmas characters from around the world. And it was really neat. They came around with their little sports cards, right? You know, the little kids, they give them a little card, a little trading card that had who they were and what country they were from and what tradition of Christmas they were a part of. And it was just a beautiful time. I mean, it's like being in a Hallmark movie, you know? And for us dudes, it's like, man, one night's all I can handle. Can I get a witness from somebody? <laughs> like, so, but we did that, right? We did that last weekend. And, and I love all that. I love all that. But do you know that if we don't stop and focus on the who and the what of Christmas or the person and the plan of Christmas. And somebody shout his name, by the way. We're talking about Jesus. If we don't go back to that, we can lose the power of Christmas in the midst of all our celebrations. But here's what I'll propose to you. If we truly go back and see the who and the what, the, per the person and the plan of Christmas, then you take that with you and that being your focus, then all your other Christmas celebrations will have more beauty and more majesty and more power tied to them. And listen, 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 it doesn't have to end on December 26th when you're celebrating the real reason for Christmas. So that's why we're doing this series. We're calling Arrival, and we're going to dive into that. In fact, I want you to look on the screen with me at how God told them about his coming before Christmas. 
Here's the oldest prophecy, the first prophecy you will find in the scriptures all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This is right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And God is talking to the serpent here. uh, And he says to him, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring, read the next three words with me, everyone, come on. And her, this is key, this is huge that God said it this way. And here's what he said. The offspring of the woman is going to strike your head. Here's what you're going to do, Satan. You're going to strike his heel. Now, we know now that that is a prophecy of Jesus and the cross. On the cross, Satan Satan struck the heel of Jesus. But how many know it's a whole lot worse to get your head crushed than it is to get your, your heel struck, right? And what did Jesus do on the cross? Not only did he have to suffer, but in that moment, he crushed the power of Satan. And when he came up out of the grave, hell lost the power of the grave. But here's what I want you to see out of this. Those three words I had you to say out loud with me. Would you say them one more time? Go. And her offspring. In this, the oldest messianic prophecy in the Bible tells you that the Messiah has to be a human being. Born of a woman, the offspring of a woman. So the Messiah, to be the Messiah, is going to have to be a human. Let's look at this next one, Micah. Micah picks up on this and tells us the where. Where is this Messiah going to come? Read the first two words. Ready? Go. Bethlehem. You're afraid, all right? You are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel. You ready for this? You ready for this? Look at this line. His origin is from where? Antiquity, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. Watch this, watch this, watch this. In the majestic name of the Lord his God. Now look up here and let me tie these two together. So in the first one in the book of Genesis, what does God tell us? God tells us that the the one who's going to come and strike Satan on the head is the one who has to be born of a woman. You come to Micah and Micah says that one that's got to be born of a woman is going to be born over here in this town named Bethlehem. And not only that, watch this, he's older when he's born than his mama. When he's born, he'll be older than his mother because he's from ancient times. He's from antiquity. And not only that, he comes in the name of the Lord his God. Then you jump into Isaiah 714. And by the way, I'm giving you three of these prophecies before the first Christmas. The Old Testament is littered with hundreds. Hundreds. I'm giving you three. Three should be enough for us. Amen? Even in the show me state. Here we go. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and see. Here, watch it. Look at the depth of this. Read with me this line. The virgin will conceive. Are you kidding me? Anybody know science? It doesn't happen that way, right? But the virgin's going to conceive and she's going to have a son. And here's the kicker. What's his name going to be? You will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So I'm just going to show you those three because here's what I want you to say. I want you to see that God's Messiah has to be born of a woman. He is going to carry the name of the Lord as God. In fact, in fact, in fact, he's not a prophet and he's not an angel. and He's not some other angelic or heavenly being. This child will be God himself. And this is huge for us because I fear 
that many people at this time of the year, within all of our Christmas celebrations, has our little manger seen off to the side. And the manger becomes a secondary thought. And we look at it almost as if it's a cute little Christmas story like many of our other stories we tell. Or even maybe a fairy tale or fiction. And if you lose sight of who that baby came on that first Christmas truly is and the reason he came, you lose the power of all your other celebrations. Then all of a sudden, you do just get tired of Christmas. By the end, I mean, come on, XM Radio, same 12 Christmas songs over and over. How do I know that? Because I've done a lot of traveling in the last week. Oh, I'm just like, would somebody please tell them there's more than 12? Over. And, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? You spend a lot of money at the, at the end of December. Coming in January, you got to pay that off. You got to write a check to that credit card company. Come on, somebody. you got to get right back on top of that same roof and take those lights right back down that you risked your life to put up. <laughs> and, and before long, you're just like, I'm tired of all this. That is if you lose what it's really all about. But once you, you remember when it's all about, it changes your attitude. And the beautiful thing is, it doesn't have to go away after you put the boxes back up on the December 26th. That's what I want you to see today. Is this fiction or is this fact? Did God truly come down that day uh, on that first Christmas? And if you get a hold of this, listen to me. If you understand that God invaded our chaos, it's going to change your world. Get your message notes together. And in a moment, I'm, I'm going to jump into that. But before I do, let me tell you why I think this is so important. It's because there's all kinds of doubt in the world today about Jesus and his divinity. In fact, uh, this past week, I, I read the post of a guy who adheres to a progressive Christian movement, the progressive Christian music. Listen, I've told you all this before in a warning. We do not adhere to the cr progressive Christian movement that's uh, sweeping through the land today. I, I'm not a proponent of it. I, I believe it's heresy, and I warn you against it. Here's what uh, this one individual wrote this week, and it's his opinion. He said, he said, I believe you can be a faithful Christian, uh, take the Bible seriously, be moved emotionally, by, be moved by Christmas stories, and here's, here was his key line, though, and not take any of it literally. And when I read that, I had to stop back, sit back, and I was like, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute, you had me, you had me for a moment. Don't take any of it literally. You mean to tell me that you can be a faithful Christian, take the Bible seriously, and be moved by Christmas, but then when you read about a virgin conceiving and having forth a son of God, that God became a, a man, that's just a metaphor that was all just religious symbolisms to teach you a good nature story about God that it didn't really happen that way? That you're telling me that when the angels popped through in Luke chapter 2 on the hillside and told a bunch of shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward me, that that's just a beautiful analogy? That's just a beautiful story of what God wants, but it didn't really happen? There really weren't no angels? There really weren't no shepherds? Are you kidding me? There wasn't really a star that the wise men followed from the east and came over into Bethlehem where Jesus was? you telling me that's all a story? And I say, I don't believe that. Because if that's true, then none of this makes sense. None of this even has any power or value. We're wasting our time and our money. I don't need more fairy tales at this time of the year. I need something true to hang on to. 
in my readings, I found that this doubt is not new just because of some of this religious movement of today. This actually goes back. I, I came across a letter dated March the 9th, 1790 by a guy that you all studied in school. This guy, Benjamin Franklin. Here's what he had to say about Jesus. He said, as to Jesus of Nazareth, I think the system of morals in his religion, as he left them to us, the best the world has ever saw or is likely to see. I thought, whoa, there you go, Ben. You got it right, bro. That sounds pretty good. The sad thing about it is he didn't stop writing right there. I wish he would have just put a period, but he didn't. He says, but I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes And I have, with most of the present dissenters in England, some doubts to his divinity. He goes on to say that he felt studying whether or not Jesus was really God in the flesh was needless to busy himself with. And I would argue with you that there's nothing more important for you to figure out. Is he truly who he said he was? Is he the Son of God or not? And you don't have to go just back to 1790. Watch this. It's going it's to shock some of you. If you go all the way back to 90 AD, just 60 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, a generation was born after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, grew up and started preaching and teaching a doubting skepticism to if Jesus really was just one generation earlier, if he really was the son of God, if he was who he said he was. And out of this, this Gnosticism arose and swept across the land. This Gnosticism is an idea that, God, that humanity is so dirty and sinful that if God is real, God could never touch this. God could never take on flesh. And so two prevailing thought patterns began to be taught around 90 AD. The first one came from a group called the Docetists, and they taught that when Jesus was on the watch this, when Jesus was on the earth, he was never a human being, he was a ghost. This is the original ghost hunter show, right? Jesus was a ghost when he walked around town. He was a ghost. That's how he could walk on water. That's how he could go through walls. That's how he could heal the sick. He was a ghost. He, was, he wasn't real. He wasn't tangible. The other train of thought came from a guy named Serenthus. Serenthus taught that Jesus was a normal human being with a normal birth. He had a biological father and a biological mother. He wasn't sinless. He was just a man. But when he was baptized, God sent the Christ spirit, the Christ spirit, notice the difference, down upon him. And at that moment, Jesus became divine and he became holy until he went to the cross. But because God can't be crucified when he went to the cross, the Christ spirit lifted off of him and Jesus, the dude from Nazareth, is the one who died, not God. These are the two prevailing thoughts at 90 AD when John wrote the book of 1 John. Take your Bibles or your message notes, and when you go there, now you will understand why John starts his letter off straight, in your face, dealing with the issue at hand. No subtleties, no how how you doings. (laughs) He says, guys, I got something to talk about, and I'm an old man. He's an old disciple at this time, the only living disciple of the original 12 
And he's like, I'm an old man. I got something to say and I'm getting right to the point. Amen. Here we go. Look at first John chapter one, verse one through four. Here's what he writes. What was from the beginning? No, hello. Let me get to the point. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and we declare to you that eternal life was with the Father and it's been revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 4, underline this, say it out loud with me, ready, go, online campus, help me here. We are writing these things so that our, circle that word and say it out loud, ready, go ahead, online campus, do it too. Our joy may be full. John says, hey guys, I know that there's these folks running around here telling you Jesus didn't really come on that first Christmas, that that baby wasn't divine. I'm here to tell you, I saw him, I touched him, I ate supper with him, I laid my head on his chest at the dinner table, I was there when Lazarus came out of the grave, I was there when Jesus walked on water, I was there when he fed the thousands with a little boy sack lunch, and John says, I just need to tell all you doubters out there, I seen him, I heard him, I touched him, I saw him, and I know him to be true. Man, the power of a testimony. Mm. John just went straight to it. But then in verse four, he tells us why this is so important. Why it's important for us to know that Jesus really came as God in the flesh. You see verse four there? Read it with me. So that your joy or our joy may be complete. How many want the joy of the Lord? Would you look up here at me? Did you know that the book of Nehemiah chapter eight says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you hear me? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why does this message bring us joy? I want you to write this down. Because if Jesus is truly God in the flesh, if he truly came and took on, God took on humanity, not a prophet. He could have sent a prophet, but he didn't. Not an angel. He could have, but he didn't. God did this all on his own. Here's what it tells you. Here's what it tells me. You ready? Online campus, write this down. Is that God has come to dwell in the midst of our chaos. God has come in the midst of our chaos to share with us his presence. This is what Christmas is all about. In the midst of the chaos that you and I are living in, in the mess of our world, when you come to Christmas, here's what you need to remember. God invades our mess to tell us we don't have to walk through this mess alone. Every once in a while, someone will, and, and sometimes they're legit, honest questions. Sometimes it may have some sarcasm into it. I get it. But every once in a while, someone will ask me, if God is real, if God is loving, if God is true, why didn't he, when he came the first time, just fix all the mess? Why do we still have a mess? Why do we still live in chaos? Why is there still sin, sorrow, and sickness? And I need every one of you to hear me on this, okay? Love can't be love if you have no choice. Love requires a choice. 
You can't say you love God if you don't have the choice to not love God. You can't say that you love someone if you don't have the choice not to love them. You can't say I follow Jesus if you don't have the choice to not follow Jesus. And here's the deal. None of you, none of you are forced to love God. None of you are forced to be a Christian. None of you are forced to go to heaven or to follow Christ. God has given you this incredible opportunity and he gives it to all of us. And he allows us to choose him or not. And because we live in a world of choice, sin has come into our world. And because of sin, there is now sickness and sorrow and pain and suffering. And there's good that happens to bad people and bad things happening to good people. And all of you understand what I'm talking about because we've all experienced life together. And so John is saying, here's why I need you to know that Jesus truly came, that Jesus truly died, that Jesus truly rose again. Here's why I need you to know this, because if you get this truth, if you get a hold that he truly came, he truly died, and he truly arose from the grave, and they came to invade your mess, then no matter if you're having a good day or a bad day, he'll be there with you. Because God took it on himself to come into our mess. Not to do away with it now, but to give you hope in the midst of it. Now, can I give you a disclaimer? Can, can I give you a little caveat to what's coming? In this series, I will get to the fact that if he come one time, it means he's coming back a second time. And the second time he comes, he's going to do away with all the mess. But for now, he's come to give you a chance to have him in the mess with you. That's where our joy comes from. How many of you know the difference between happiness and joy, by the way? How many love to be happy? Any hands? Love to be happy. How about you online campus? You love to be happy? Put your hands up. Love to be happy. All of us want to be happy. Amen? We all want to be happy. Happiness is dependent on what's happening in the moment. You can't be happy all the time. Nobody's happy all the time. If somebody tells you they're happy all the time, they're lying and they need Jesus. Because nobody's happy all the time because when things are good, you're happy. When things aren't good, you're not going to be happy. That's normal. But how many of you know that you can have joy even when you're not happy? Here's what Christmas tells us about joy. Joy is not a fleeting emotion built around present circumstances. Joy is a rock-solid assurance that comes that God is with you in your mess on the good days and the bad days. Joy is God will never leave me nor forsake me, that he walks with me, that he will go with me. Joy is I can cry out to God on a good day and I can cry out to God on a bad day and he's there. When I fall down, he'll pick me up. When I'm scared, he will comfort me. When I need directions, he will guide me. Joy is I never have to go a moment without the Lord on my side. Amen. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And what the message of Christmas is, is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And that joy is a joy the world can't give you. And it's a joy the world can't take away. So now when we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That heaven and nature sing. Why would we sing about a God like Why would the angels burst out 
on the hillside that day. Why did Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, rejoice when she heard about her pregnancy and the fetus in her womb, John the Baptist, leap when he heard Mary's voice? It's because God knew he was bringing joy. Real joy, lasting joy, joy through the good and joy through the bad, joy that tells us on the inside, whatever we face, God is with us. So write this down. Happiness is external, but joy is internal. Joy is an inside job, amen? But now the devil's got some enemies. He wants to steal that away from you on the inside. You need to be aware of this. And I only have to preach on these because we all have experienced them before. The three tools Satan uses to steal away our joy is worry, hurt, and disappointment. How many has experienced those before? How about online campus? All of us? Worry, hurt, and disappointment. Now look at me. If you go back to the message of Christmas and you truly let this sink in, that God truly did come into this world. And you know what? You know what? Isn't it fascinating that he didn't come as a man? As an adult? As a king or as a warrior? Have you ever thought about the fact that God came as a baby? We'll dive more into that next week. But here's what you know about Jesus. The joy is God came to us. And because he came from an infancy all the way through adulthood, now we can say he gets us. Just like the commercials say, you know, that little tagline. He gets us. He understands us. He knows you. He feels you. He knows what you're going through. And that's the joy that we can have on the inside. And when you have the joy of the Lord, you listen to me. When you have the joy of the Lord... The joy of the Lord will take the weariness out of your worry. The joy of the Lord will give you the strength to forgive those who've hurt you. And the joy of the Lord will show you a purpose in the midst of your disappointments. You can't outdo God. We've got a friend in this church. His name is Matt. And Matt, over the last few years, has had some of the hardest life experiences you can imagine. The last five years especially have been very difficult. But in those last five years, Matt's given his life to Christ and been baptized. And in his own words, he's going to share with you where he has found strength in the midst of his storms, where he's found the joy. Just listen to Matt. I've been through a lot of things in the last five years. Um, some people would say it's not fair, but you know, it's life. I lost my daughter in May of 2018. And then in September of 2018, I lost my dad. Not really enough time to grieve either one of them. Started taking care of my mom. And then in 2021, was in a side-by-side -side accident and uh, lost my brother. And that one really got me down. Um, really started diving into my faith and reading scripture and realized that, you know, it was the relationship I had with my Lord and Savior that I needed to build on. And that brought me into a whole nother level of my faith. And, um, you know, it, it, it brought me to 
seeing what I needed to do and how I needed to be to get through the things that were happening. Um, and not even a year later, lost my mom. And then uh, not even a year later after that, lost my grandson. And um, that one right there was the hardest one. Um, a lot of pent up frustration and asking God why. I just kept going to scripture. I always go to Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. You know, I will trust you with all my heart and I will not lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways I will acknowledge you and you shall direct my path. You know, that, that scripture I've been standing on firm for the last two years. It's just something that's helped me get through. And the peace and the comfort that I have felt through the Holy Spirit is just, it's like you, know, you say all the time, it's, it surpasses any understanding that, you know, you're going through such a hard time, but yet you know that you got God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus in you, the Holy Trinity is working. And he kept me and kept me my sanity through all of this. Um, you know, it's just wake up each day and, and put on the armor of God and, and fight. I mean, that's all you can do. Um, you know, it's people ask me, how can I be happy or how can I have joy? But you know, that comes from God. He gives me my hope and he gives me the joy. Um, I have a comfort and a peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, you know, there's a Psalm 139 Verse 10, it says, even there his hand will guide you and his strength will support you. And it's another verse that I stand on. I mean, you know, it boils down to the relationship that I have with my Lord and Savior. And that's what's got me through all of this. You appreciate Matt sharing his little bit of his story with you. Would you let him know that you love and appreciate him? Amen. Matt's a beautiful example, and, and what he's went through in five years, I pray that none of you go through or experience, some of you have though, you've experienced times like that, just horrible seasons in life. But it was after that third death that he's like, I need more of the presence of the Lord in my life. And he truly just in, enveloped Christ, he just saturated himself into the Lord, and was baptized, and then it didn't stop the next two horrific passings in his life. But he knew where his help came from. He knew where his strength was found. When John, by the way, wrote these words that we've preached on today and studied together, he is the last of the original 12 disciples. All the others are dead. By the time he wrote this, all the others have died a martyr's death. All of them died because they would not deny that Jesus was God in the flesh. And they wouldn't deny that he died on a cross and was buried and rose from the grave. <clears throat> Listen, they all died. His brother James was the first of the 12 to be martyred for his faith. John's the last one. And he's an old man. He has nothing else to prove. And he has no one from the original group to hold him accountable. If this wasn't true, if, if Jesus isn't truly God, and if God doesn't come down into our mess, if this wasn't true, John could have started his letter off completely different. 
because he was being persecuted for preaching the gospel, by the way. In fact, shortly after he wrote these words, Rome would arrest him and throw him on an island penitentiary out in the Mediterranean Sea called the Isle of Patmos, where, by the way, God would give him the revelation. So he's an old man. He could have, he could have started his letter like this. He could have said, hey, y'all, this whole Jesus rising from the dead, God in the flesh thing, it was all a great story, but it wasn't true. He could have, if it wasn't true, he could have said that. No one's going to hold him accountable. All the rest of them were dead. But that's not what he started out with at all, was it? He didn't even want to tell anybody hello. He just went straight to it. I'm here to tell you, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. He is the living God. In fact, that word revealed in verse 2 that he used in the Greek literally means that which already existed being exposed. He said, I'm telling you, God was revealed on that first Christmas. Where did he learn this joy? Because listen, he had persecution, he had trouble, but he had joy too, amen? He learned it from being with Jesus. John 15, verse 11, Jesus said, if we abided with him, here's what he said. He said, my joy, and this is what he told John, and John wrote it down. My joy will be in you, and then your joy will be complete. How many want to have complete joy in the Lord today? Notice this, to have his joy complete in you, You've got to be abiding with him. In fact, the big takeaway today is simply this. For God's joy to arrive in you, you must abide in him. And I want you to think about this for a moment. What kind of joy John had to suffer the way he suffered because he'd been with Jesus. You know, if you walked with Jesus and knew he was God's son, then whatever he did and however he responded, you would say that's how God reacts. Amen? Wouldn't you though? That's how God reacts. So when John was with Jesus at Lazarus' tomb and he saw Jesus weep, what did he learn about God? He learned that when our hearts are broken at the death of a loved one, God weeps with us because Jesus wept. When they were in the middle of a boat in the midst of a storm and the disciples cried out for fear and they thought, my God, we're going to perish. What did they learn about Jesus when he got up and he spoke, peace be still to the winds? Is that even when we're scared, God understands and he can come in the midst of our fear and speak a word of peace. What did he see when he saw blind Bartimaeus cry out and say, Lord, have mercy on me? He learned that when we cry out on the name of the Lord, the Lord has mercy on all who call on his name. When he was in Matthew's house, and Matthew had nothing but sinners, prostitutes and drunks and tax collectors sitting around the table, and Jesus is having dinner with them, he found out that night God loves sinners. And the joy just began to grow inside of old John. And John wrote all these things down to let you and I know you and I can have the same joy in us today. Amen? Because God gets us. He came to us. He really is the Son of God. And you can have the joy to get you through. Amen? Amen?